You're listening to the Ipsos Mori Politics and Society podcast with your host, Kieran Pedley. Um, now, regular listeners to this podcast will know that we typically talk about issues around elections and politics. That's very much my bag and my specialism. But from time to time, we take a break and we look to talk about uh, particular topics of interest. And this is very much uh, one of those episodes. Um, it's Earth Day this week, Thursday the 22nd of April, maybe in the past for those of you listening after that. Um, Earth Day, for those of you not familiar, uh, is an annual event um, dem- to demonstrate support for environmental protection. And to mark this, Ipsos Mori are publishing some new research um, looking at attitudes to uh, climate change uh, globally and how behaviour is or isn't changing and the impact of the COVID pandemic uh, and wh- on where we will go from here. Now, I'm not an expert on these issues by any means, so I'm joined by people that are. So first of all, I'd like to introduce uh, Professor Lorraine Whitmarsh from the University of Bath. Uh, Lorraine is an environmental psychologist specialising in perceptions and behaviour in relation to climate change, energy and transport. And she's also the director of the Centre for Climate Change and Social Transformations. Um, Professor Lorraine uh, Whitmarsh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And we're also joined by Ruth Townend, uh, who's a research manager uh, in the energy and environment team at Ipsos Mori. She spent much of her career researching public attitudes and behaviours around uh, climate change and climate action, often on behalf of the UK and Scottish governments and for charities and think tanks too. Ruth, welcome to the show. Hi, Kieran. Hi, Lorraine. Nice to be here. So I suppose, um, obviously, it's Earth Day this week, Lorraine, but I guess... um, the the opening before we even get into the research one of the the questions i would have is I mean, what makes 2021 uh, an important year for international environmental policy yeah so we can almost think about 2021 as being a sort of super year for international environmental policy because there are major deals in progress on climate biodiversity food and oceans so for example later this year um The UK will be hosting the UN Climate Talks COP26 in Glasgow. Um, And this conference is critical because it's when countries uh, are expected to commit to enhanced ambition um, since um, COP21 a few years ago. So they'll be upscaling their ambition to tackle climate change. And Ruth, this has obviously been coupled with uh, some new research that we've published. I mean, before we get into the weeds of that, Um, Could you explain a bit about the research that we've done and uh, the types of topics we might have covered? Thanks, Kieran. So from the public globally, there's real concern about climate change. And this is something that Ipsos know because we ask about awareness and worry about climate change for a lot of our clients. And we see really consistently high levels um, of concern about these issues. So Ipsos Global Trends Research in 2020, for example, found that climate emergency was the strongest common value across countries. And in September 2020, 83% in the UK agreed with the statement, we are heading for environmental disaster unless we change our habits quickly. Um, So knowing that this is something that's important to people, um, Ipsos publishes its own research on sustainability issues for Earth Day every year. And in this super year, as Lorraine said, um, we're focusing on public awareness of the issues, their sense that their contributions um, are useful and valid, and their perceptions of responsibility, as well as looking at how individual behaviour is likely to change over the coming year. 
Um, so COVID has obviously been a huge influencing factor this year and the restrictions to tackle COVID have in some ways actually accelerated individual actions that can help combat climate change. And we'll be looking at how those things might change once restrictions are removed as well. So most of the results we'll be discussing today are from our 30 country or market study conducted online with 21,000 adults. Today, we'll mostly be focusing on the results for Great Britain and the global country or market average results. Um, and these global country or market average results aren't meant to be representative of the world as a whole, just a flag. Um, so they're not adjusted to the relative size of those countries and also not every country is covered. Um, but they are an average across these 30 markets and they're an indicator of how people in different places across the world are thinking about these issues. Indeed, I mean, 30 markets certainly give I mean, 20,000 samples, certainly gives you uh, plenty of uh, plenty of data to chew over. So I'll stay with you, Ruth, for the time being. So, I mean, one, one of the things I have written down here is what is the plan? Um, so one of the key, the key findings that seems to stand out was a question that we asked about whether an individual market or country thinks, it, uh, thinks that their government has a clear plan in place. So could you maybe, uh, to, to address uh, climate change, so could you talk a bit about what, what the data showed? Yeah, of course. So one of the things that we've been hearing quite a lot in our qualitative research, which is where we explore these topics in a more sort of open way with the public, is a rising sense of concern about the lack of a plan to combat climate change. And this isn't just from people who are really environmentally engaged, but from lots of different standpoints. So people are really starting to get this sense of scientist and expert consensus and starting to mention opinion leaders like David Attenborough and Greta Thunberg. And they're talking about documentaries, things they've seen on the news and feeling perhaps a bit concerned that they don't feel part of a plan to address these big threats to the environment that many feel are sort of looming over us. Um, so we decided that it would be useful to ask people if they do think there's a plan which they in which they can play their part. And it seems like for the most part they don't. Um, so looking at the global country or market average, just 31% agree that their government their country's government has a clear plan in place for how government, businesses and people are going to work together to tackle climate change and significantly more actually disagree. So what do you think is behind that? I mean, that, that that seems to jar a bit with, well, I don't know. That, so that there's obviously clearly concern about climate change has been on the rise. We know that. But then there's uh, maybe is it, is, it, is, it, is it a communications problem or do you think it's uh, just that people aren't, as much as people recognise climate change is an important issue, they're not necessarily very plugged into the debate around it or what might be going on about it? Yeah, I think there's definitely a communications issue here. I think one of the things we've heard people reflecting on is, in the UK at least, um, there's been sort of relative clarity on the communications about COVID compared to communications about um, climate change. So when we did this research back in 2020, we asked people whether they thought that COVID and climate change were sort of comparable crises. And we found majority agreement that they are. And yet the kind of clarity that people are seeing in these sort of daily briefings on COVID as a crisis, um, when they then compare it to their sort of increasing concern about climate change, they're not seeing that kind of coherent, this is the plan, here are your actions and here are the impacts of your actions from the government. 
So I think that might be playing a role, that sort of emphasize, emphasizing that difference. Sure. And, and Lorraine, I suppose this question bringing you in here, that there's, a, there's this question about a plan. Um, but I mean, is there one? I mean, are, are the public right to be sceptical? Well, I mean, that's a good question. I, I, all, all nations um, that were included in this research have, have signed up to the Paris Agreement. That's the, the 2015 UN climate agreement, the big one where all countries agreed to keep global temperatures to between one and a half and two degrees C above pre-industrial levels. So they've all signed up to that agreement and almost all of them have submitted and published um, initial nationally determined contributions or NDCs, uh, which is the technical term basically for their plans for how they're going to actually tackle climate change. Um, so, so yeah, basically they do pretty much all have a plan um, and those plans are due to be updated and expanded this year, 2021. So, so it is it is striking that there is um, relatively low awareness of what these various governments are doing. And what do you put that down to, uh, Lorraine? Do you, do you think that is it a communications issue? Is it just people being distracted by COVID? I mean, ultimately, I mean, as someone that's not an expert in issues of climate change, but, but I, you know, I follow the Ipsos Mori Issues Index in, in, in Britain and. It, what it tends to show is that uh, concern about the environment's on the rise by, by, by historic comparison, but it's very difficult to get it to be the number one issue on people's minds that they're focused on. I mean, even outside of a pandemic and obviously being in the middle of COVID and lockdowns and things, that's clearly going to dominate people's perceptions. So do you think there's an element of just everything's about COVID right now? I mean, that, that, that's a good point. But I, I think it's really interesting, actually, that, that a lot of the research shows that concern about climate change hasn't really decreased over the last year or so. Um, in fact, some, some, some of the polling, some of the, some of the research suggests that it may be um, even slightly higher. So there is still a strong sense there is a climate emergency people are are still as concerned as they were before COVID. But I, I think it's it's still understandable that maybe uh, in terms of people's day-to-day -day concerns, there are, there are other things that they're worried about. Um, but we saw this even before COVID, actually. Environmental issues tended not to be sort of top of mind, you know, in terms of people's day-to-day -day concerns. Um, generally, I think people don't necessarily see what is relevant about climate change or the environment to their day-to-day -day lives. Um, but they are going to see that changing, I think, more and more as low carbon policies start to be implemented. And so um, I think it's important that messages about what countries are doing, including the UK, um, are, that those messages are clear and consistent. And so, you know, for example, the UK in the autumn, we had the 10 point plan uh, announced uh, on you know, what we're going to do to tackle climate change. And we've had other announcements on green recovery from COVID. Um, but equally, there are some policy announcements like cutting air passenger duty on domestic flights and increasing rail fares above inflation that maybe give the impression that climate change isn't a priority for the government. So it, it might cause some sort of confusion. Um, so I think it is important that we think about how to more effectively communicate what what governments are doing and, and, and effectively sort of building a shared vision of where we want to be going and a sense of collective e efficacy, if you like, that we're all trying to do our bit together and, and what we can effectively do together and show why it is relevant to people and why it actually might be beneficial to, to many people as well. Anything to add, Ruth? 
Yeah, so the UK has a quite widely publicised legally binding target to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050, which will effectively end the UK's contribution to climate change. And Scotland has committed to achieve that by 2045. So in late 2020, we asked the UK public about their awareness of this net zero commitment, and we found that 86% said they had at least heard of it, while one in five said they knew a little or a fair amount about the net zero commitment. So we wondered, like, given this, um, this sort of that there has been some publicity about this net zero commitment, um, whether agreement that there is a clear plan would be any higher in Great Britain. Um, but unfortunately, it seems that that isn't the case. So um, just 28% agreed the government has a clear plan in place um, in Great Britain, while a third disagree. Um, and disagreement tends to be higher among certain groups. So it's higher among men at 36% and higher among those with greater levels of academic attainment uh, at 40%. We also thought we'd look across other countries which have um, legally binding net zero commitments. So France, Hungary and Sweden fall in that category. Um, and people in these countries, as in the UK, aren't in fact more likely to agree um, than in countries who haven't made a legally binding net zero commitment. Right. So I mean, clearly a debate there um, about plans, but, you know, doesn't seem that there's much relationship between what the plans are and how aware people are of them. Um, but what about one of the things I'm interested in as a sort of uh, someone that's a bit distant from a lot of uh, the research in this area is this idea of responsibility. So like, do people just think, uh, Ruth, that, you know, dealing with climate change is just someone else's problem, basically, it's kind of like such a big issue that you know, I can't affect it myself. And, uh, uh, you know, that's for other people to deal with. I mean, one of the things in the research that struck me was that it does seem to be a, a general perception that um, this is an important issue. Um, so uh, I think there's a statement in here about agreement saying that uh, was it two thirds agree that um, if the government doesn't act now, uh, worse the effect of uh, it, it will be failing the people. So there's clearly a sort of sense that government has to act. But do people feel a personal sense of responsibility about it? Uh, yeah, definitely. So we asked about three different groups, um, individuals, businesses and governments. And because it's pretty easy to agree that these groups should take responsibility, we tried to sort of up the stakes a bit to see how people would feel if we asked them if these groups would be failing others if they didn't act. And despite that, relatively emotive wording we saw really high agreement um so in great britain 73 percent agree that if individuals don't act now on climate change they'll be failing future generations um, which is an important idea that lorraine has touched upon already this sort of intergenerational equity um and whether we're sort of leaving a a decent the planet in a decent state for those who'll come after us um, and then we found that 74% agree that businesses would be failing employees and customers if they don't act now. And 69% agree that the UK government would be failing Britons by not acting now. Um, so I think that that sense of that sense of responsibility across groups is really clear. And, and when we asked about whether there was a clear plan in place, we asked about whether that plan would entail those groups working together. Um, and I think that that sort of sense of cohesive action is something that that people clearly think is missing. 
Um, just looking at the sort of the splits about which people are more or less likely to um, agree on responsibility. Um, so women, people in older age groups, middle income um, individuals and people with high academic attainment were more likely to agree with the idea of greater individual responsibility for climate action. Um, whereas people with mid-levels of academic attainment were also likely, more likely to agree on government responsibility. And one of the sort of interesting but quite indicative findings is that non-business owners were more likely than business owners to agree that if businesses don't act on climate change, they'll be failing employees and customers. So sort of 75% of people who don't own a business versus 62% of those who do, although the base for that is pretty low, sort of 80 Great British businesses took part in the survey. But it would be interesting to investigate that idea of responsibility a bit further in future research. I mean, Lorraine, what do you make of this question of responsibility and climate change? I, I mean, I think some of these findings are absolutely fascinating. I think this this point about, for example, um, non-business owners being more likely to say that business businesses are failing uh, if they don't act on climate change than business owners is is really consistent with other research which shows that people do tend to look at other people as being more responsible than themselves um, and to try and sort of deflect responsibility away a little bit. I mean, I think that's starting to change a bit because if we look at, for example, the, the Climate Assembly UK last year, there was definitely a very strong sense coming out of that that uh, there is a shared responsibility for tackling climate change. And that's that sort of comes out here as well, I think, that, that there is a feeling that individuals, governments and businesses together need to be taking action. Uh, it is a sh shared responsibility. Um, but I still think there's 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 maybe a, a way to go before people really fully uh, accept that they are they are really responsible themselves as individuals. I, I think ju just to touch on one other thing, I think it's also interesting um, this framing in the question around kind of future generations that we as individuals will be failing future generations if we don't act. Um, that really resonates with this idea of intergenerational justice that future generations and children today are going to be experiencing the worst climate impacts. Um, but of course, they have less of a say over decisions to tackle it. I mean, children can't vote, for example. Um, and the school strikes movement has really been a key element of raising awareness about this injustice. Um, and it's demonstrated the responsibility that adults have to protect future generations, as well as more vulnerable members of society today who are likely to be experiencing the worst climate impacts. So I do think there are obviously groups that are calling for more action to be taken. And, and many of those groups are the ones who are going to be um, experiencing the worst impacts. I want to explore this uh, relationship between COVID and climate change in a bit more detail. I mean, Ruth, does the research say much about that? So we asked in 2020 about um, whether in the economic recovery after COVID-19, it would be important that government actions prioritise climate change. Um, and we got sort of 58% agreement that green recovery would be a good thing at that point. Um, but in 2021, we decided to ask the reverse um, to see how people feel about perhaps 
um, not tackling climate change as a priority in the green recovery. And we got a much more split finding. So 38% thought green recovery should be a priority, while 35% thought it shouldn't be a priority in the economic recovery. Um, there's likely to be a bit of a question framing effect here, but it is a big shift and it suggests that our views about green recovery are becoming more conservative, perhaps now that economic impacts of COVID are starting to be felt at a personal rather than a theoretical level. Um, so this question was asked right at the start of the sort of the big impacts from the pandemic in the UK in 2020, um, just sort of around the time of the first UK-wide national lockdown. And whereas now, obviously, we're we're pretty far down the line in terms of seeing the impacts. Maybe if I can just add as well, I think some of the um, other data I've seen, again, coming from the Climate Assembly UK, uh, one of the final sessions we held as part, as part of that big citizens' assembly on climate change in 2020 uh, covered COVID and green recovery. And we asked the question, should steps taken by the government to help the economy re recover, um, should, should those steps help achieve net zero? Um, and we had um, a large majority of assembly members, 79% um, strongly agreeing or agreeing uh, that it should. So it, it's hard to pull apart whether it is a that positive framing, assuming that these two things are compatible, um, versus the timing of that, which again was sort of relatively early on in the in the pandemic. Any further thoughts from you there, Ruth? So just in terms of exploring COVID and climate change and the links between the two a little more, um, as I mentioned at the start, Restrictions to tackle COVID have in some ways accelerated individual actions that can help combat climate change. So things like not flying, being careful about the energy that you use in your home, not commuting by car and switching from public transport to walking or cycling all have an impact on a person's carbon emissions. So obviously these things can also have a big impact on our well-being and our health. And those impacts can be positive in the case of perhaps taking up cycling and getting a bit more exercise and fresh air. Um, or negative, as can be the case for underheating your home if you're vulnerable to health impacts from doing that and you perhaps can't afford to pay your bills because of financial impacts from COVID. Um, Ipsos and CAS are currently exploring both the extent and longevity of those kind of forced changes um, as a result of COVID-19 restrictions, as well as changes that people have taken on themselves. And we're doing this through a number of projects. Um, these include some longitudinal qualitative research with Scottish householders on behalf of the Scottish Government via Climate Exchange, and also a large-scale probability-based survey for Bayes, Welsh Government and Scottish Government, which quantifies the prevalence of net zero relevant behaviours in the UK, and will track those behaviours and how they change over time. In this survey, we're only really able to ask people about their sort of their opinions of their behaviour and how that is likely to change. But we did ask them um, which are the behaviour changes that have often behaviour changes that have often been sort of foisted on them were likely to stick, and it seems that quite a few of them are. So once restrictions are removed, the top three actions that Britons expect to be doing more than they were before the pandemic would be avoiding food waste. And 36% said that after the restrictions are removed, they'll be avoiding food waste more than they were before the pandemic. 32% um, say, saying that they would be 
making more efforts to buy just what they need rather than sort of shopping for recreation or fun. Um, and 30% said that they would take more carless journeys. Now, I think if we were sort of seeing that kind of that kind of level of change play out in reality, obviously the, there's a lot of sort of intervening things that might happen between that expectation and what actually happens. Um, without COVID, that would be a sort of huge leap forward um, in people's behaviour. So in, in terms of their sort of climate impacts of their lifestyles so it will be it will be interesting to see um whether covid has sort of generated that change or prompted that level of behavioral shift i mean lorraine do you have any thoughts on uh, social transformation and sort of the role covid's having yeah i mean well we know that crises um often trigger rapid innovation actually so technologies new ways of doing things are often accelerated uh, during sort of periods of, of difficulty crisis really because we that's the best way to deal with the crisis we just have to find solutions um but also periods of disruption offer ideal opportunities to intervene to promote change because in sort of more stable times, our habits are often a very strong barrier to changing lifestyles. But when our habits are broken, for example, during a lockdown or COVID restrictions, we we find new ways of doing things. Well, in, in many cases, that has sort of been, as Ruth says, sort of foisted on us in this case. But many of these things have been low carbon, as she said, like cutting down travel, food waste and so on. And so now we have an opportunity um, to potentially lock in some of those those nascent habits. And so um, it, it's really that the question is whether these things are going to stick. And that depends on whether policymakers and businesses act to lock in these behaviours and retain them in the long term. So, you know, it, it's up to, for example, employers to enable more flexible and home working um, after COVID to help reduce commuting and business travel. Um, you know, by having those sort of more more work, uh, th those policies that enable that. Uh, similarly, for sort of local authorities, it might be about kind of reallocating road space away from cars to um, have more space for, for bikes and pedestrians to encourage healthier, greener ways of travel. And so the more we can actually create these, these wider changes that enable people to um, change their lifestyles in greener ways then the more likely the, these these sort of new green habits are, are going to stick i think one of the things that's been really interesting about the kind of link between covid and um, more sustainable behaviors is the fact that people have taken up these behaviors completely without environmental motivation so the the circumstances of covid have meant that people have sort of taken up these behaviors but they have found reported experiencing benefits from doing some of these behaviors um and those might be for health or well-being they might be cost saving um and i think they do show that environmental actions do actually have a suite of or some environmental actions do have a sort of suite of of positive impacts on people's lives and that environmental change doesn't necessarily have to be motivated by environment um, which I think is really important. We were talking about sort of environmental messaging earlier and sort of getting message out there about a plan. Um, but I think that uh, emphasising those sort of co-benefits of climate action might be an interesting way forward. And we, we might see more of that um, 
in the sort of coming years. So just to revisit the uh, in closing for final couple of minutes, just uh, to revisit sort of what we talked about at the beginning. So and we asked, you know, is 2021 a super year? I think that was the term that was used uh, uh, for, for, for tackling climate change. I mean, what what do we think, Ruth? I mean, is it is it in fact a super year, or or are there, or are there uh, reasons in the research maybe to to think that um, you know it's still going to be challenging to get people to change their behaviours as much as you know you, you may need to? I think it will be interesting to see um, what kinds of plans the uh, different national governments come up with um, at COP26. And obviously there's a lot of people kind of waiting with bated breath, not necessarily members of the public, um, to see sort of how ambitious those plans are. But I think the fact that the general public don't aren't aware of those plans at all, really, um, suggests that there's a real job of work to be done to translate this sort of public interest and, and willingness to some extent in making environmental change into a sense that they are pulling their weight as our businesses, as our governments in this collective um, national and global challenge. So I think when you look at it at an individual level, we actually haven't seen a huge uptick in intention to change um, behaviours, sustainability behaviours, since 2014, um, when we first asked about this in a sort of systematic cross-behavioural way. Um, it seems like the public are sort of stuck in a bit of a rut, although there has been a little bit of shift and COVID has definitely made a difference to travel behaviour, which is a real biggie, if you will, um, in terms of climate impact. Um, I, I think that that kind of lack of sense of a plan and communication might be really having an impact there. And I think one thing that makes me think that is um, the fact that when you look at what behaviours the public think do make a difference in the in the UK, in Great Britain, people do um, say recycling quite often. And I think one of the reasons for that is they get a lot of communication about recycling from their local authorities and a lot of information about how doing that recycling does make a difference. Whereas in terms of their sustainability behaviours as a whole, there isn't that same sort of authoritative, cohesive communication about how they can make a difference and or, or feedback on how they are making a difference through the changes that they make. Um, so I think that, that kind of... <laughs> the public almost gauntlet of, of what is the plan, which we're sort of starting to see through the qualitative research and that we've asked about here, it will be interesting to see how governments do respond to that and whether they are able to take up that challenge of involving the public and businesses in achieving this huge challenge that is in front of all of us. And, and Lorraine, final few uh, remarks to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really interesting that we might not have seen a sort of huge change in, in people's individual intentions to change their behaviours, but we've seen some changes in terms of some of the um, support for policies that actually would be quite impactful to tackle climate change. So there's definitely more support for changing diets, for example, reducing red meat consumption um, and uh, curbing flying um, in the last sort of year than we've seen in previous years. And, and as, as, we've, as we've said as well, I think there is 
willingness to change certain behaviours that people have already started to change during uh, lockdown around kind of food waste and, and travel and so on. So I think those things are really, really encouraging. Um, but what we need to do now is to really make those things easier, more attractive and more normal so that it just does become second nature. It's kind of a default sort of option that we're doing the low carbon thing. Um, and I think really sort of in light of the research findings here, but also from recommendations from Climate Assembly, for example, UK, um, there are good reasons to think that the public will will support ambitious climate change policies to make these things easier and, and more attractive for people, as long as they're seen as fair, for example, and as long as the balance of responsibility is there across business, government and individuals. And with the UK's presidency of, of COP this year, that the fact that we're hosting these important climate talks, um, we need to be demonstrating global leadership in tackling climate change. So I, so I think for me, these research findings are really encouraging. Actually, they can um, hopefully uh, embolden our, our political leaders to take more ambitious climate change action. Certainly lots of fascinating topics. Do keep an eye out for that research as we publish uh, lots of data to trawl through. That's uh, uh, really insightful. But uh, Ruth Townend and, uh, and Professor Lorraine Whitmarsh, uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you.